0: The epistle for this 23rd Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brethren, be followers of me, and observe them who walk so as you have our model. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things." Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will reform the body of our lowness, made like to the body of His glory, according to the operation wearable, whereby he also He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. Therefore, my dearly beloved brethren, and most desired, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beg of Evodia, and I beseech Syntyche, to be of one mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, my sincere companion, help those women who have labored with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the ninth chapter of the gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, as Jesus was speaking to the multitudes, Behold, a certain ruler came up and adored him, saying, Lord, my daughter is even now dead, but come, lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus, rising up, followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who was troubled with an issue of blood twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I shall touch only his garment, I shall be healed. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Be of good heart, daughter. By faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus was come into the house of the ruler and saw the minstrels and the multitude making a rout, he said, Give way, for the girl is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the multitude was put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all that country." Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, after eight months of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and six months of dealing with race riots across the country, it would seem that the last way that we needed to finish 2020 was with a disputed presidential election. At the same time, it's completely consistent with a year of trials to have yet another trial to finish out the year. And it's especially in times of great trial that we have to turn to our faith. Our faith must be a great resource for our personal strength in times of trial more than any other time. We have to have that same faith that is praised by our Lord regarding that woman in the gospel Who thinks, who believes that all she has to do is just to touch the hem of our Lord's garment in order to be healed? We have to foster that faith, and in order for us to sort of grab hold of our Lord, grab hold of Him more strongly when the winds are blowing and, and we are shaken more at times of trials, I just want to pass on to you today some reflections of a wonderful Catholic author, a British woman who lived from 1901 to 1954 by the name of Carol Houselander. She was a woman who suffered very greatly from illness, she had many trials in her sicknesses, and also from the two world wars that she had to live through, uh, living between 1901 and 1954. And she's one of those authors that that once you find her, and I, I just found her this year. Once you find her, you you decide I need to really get all of her books. I need to buy all her books um, because she has such deep insights that you don't find elsewhere. And although I will definitely be borrowing for her from her, I will at the same time not be shamelessly plagiarizing her. Um, I will just be taking uh, a, a seed that was planted in my mind through one of her ideas and adapting it to my own purposes, my own reflections. And these reflections really concern the difficulties that we have as human beings in loving. We find love to be fraught with perils and difficulties. It's like what um, Lysander says to Hermias in Midsummer Night's Dream. He, he says to her, the course of true love never did run smooth. We may say that our life is a certain apprenticeship in love. And the way in which we go about this apprenticeship, the way we perform in this pre- apprenticeship, will ultimately deter- determine our eternal fate. how well we do in loving. And we have to respond to the difficulties of loving well. We generally start off very naive about this exercise of giving our love to certain things. We may find some person or some good, some cause that we're very motivated about, and we invest our heart in that cause or, or that person. We, we love that person, that thing, that object of our affections, and we strive with all of our might to promote the good that we have discovered. And when we do so, we're kind of expecting for two things to happen. The first thing that we're expecting is that when we love, our love is going to be efficacious. We're going to be able to achieve the good that we desire so much for the thing that we love. Perhaps we're taking care of a sick person. We love that sick person. We love them so much, and we see them suffering. We see them dying. We spend hours by their bedside. We're caring for them. We're speaking words of affection to them. What we desire for them is a very good thing. We want them to be restored to health. We do not want them to die prematurely. We expend all our efforts in order to achieve this good for them. and We believe that our love is going to be efficacious. Perhaps we're fighting for the pro-life cause, we see all those children, those millions of children out there who are not loved by their mothers, those so hated by their mothers that they are put to death in the womb of their mothers, shamelessly murdered in their own wombs. They're not being respected in the right that they have to live. Perhaps we're like Mother Teresa, who famously said in this 1997 National Prayer Breakfast, she said, please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I will take any child that would be aborted. Just give them to me. I will take them. We have this love that goes out to all those innocent children. And we expect our love for the unborn to be efficacious. We expect to be able to save those poor babies. Perhaps we have a great love for Holy Mother Church. We look around and we see all these bad bishops, we see all these bad priests, we see all these scandals of our beloved church. We are pained to see these scandals. We want the church to be restored. We don't want all these things to happen to the church. We want many people to come into the Catholic church, not to be turned off from the Catholic church. Perhaps we're like St. Catherine of Siena who was dealing with that Avignon papacy, these popes hanging out in France where they weren't supposed to be, causing all this chaos in the church. St. Catherine of Siena composed this prayer to God that went like this, O Lord, let all the parts of my body, my bones, all the marrow within my bones, to be beaten and pounded together in a mortar. Only restore thy church to her comeliness and beauty. We have this great love for the church. We expect that our desires for the good of the church will be efficacious. We will somehow be able to restore tradition to the church, for instance. And after we love in this way for a few times, after we give our heart to the accomplishment of this good over here or that good over there, we quickly discover that, in fact, the power that we have to make the desire of our love realized is very, very limited. On the contrary, more often than not, our love is inefficacious. Our love fails to achieve its purpose and its ends. By a strange paradox, says Carol Hauslander, falling in love brings, a, brings us a new realization of our own nothingness, our helplessness to do even to be what we would for the beloved. It seems like it's part of our human condition that in love, our desire, our love's desire, will always outstrip love's effect. The intensity of our love will always be greater than the efficaciousness of our love. The second thing we're often expecting when we love another, when we love a thing, when we love a cause, is that our love will be returned. That we make an investment with our love. And that an investment gains interest, and it comes back to us after we have love. We want some reward for our love, and we believe that that is only just. If I expend myself for the sake of this other, I should receive something in return. If I give a gift to someone... That I'm waiting for that thank you note. If I give a donation, I'm waiting for that tax receipt. If I do a good work, I'm expecting or fully expecting to be praised and be told, you did a good job, you did a good thing. Many who imagine that they love, says Miss Houselander, are really concerned with nothing else but being loved. Their husbands, wives, parents, children and friends become their victims. They depend on others and demand continual reassurance and flattery from them. If we have this impression that our love will always be returned, we always get something back, we are very, very quickly disillusioned. We soon find that in many cases our love is not appreciated, or our love is misunderstood, or even our love is not even recognized. It's ignored. People don't even see that we're expending our love on them. Love is, in fact, not like a loan that is paid out and is returned with interest. Once our love is given out, in many cases, it never returns. We never get it back. And When we go through this apprenticeship of love, and we discover these hard truths, first of all, that love often fails. It's inefficacious. The good that we want does not happen. And then secondly, that the love that we expend on others is often not returned. Then we're faced with a dilemma. What do we do? Should I continue on this peril- perilous path of loving or should I stop loving at all? Is this worth it? Or is it not worth it? You know that what how some people respond to this challenge that love presents to them. They become very frustrated with the limitations of human love, and they simply give up. And they start to clutch their heart very closely to their breast, very jealously, and refuse to give it out anymore. They carefully refrain from giving their heart away to any person or any cause whatsoever, they begin to live a purely selfish existence. There are others who don't give up loving, but they simply resign themselves to the poor return that love makes, and they start to calculate and be very careful about their love. They they start to forecast situations or areas in which they can invest their love, and they can predict that they, in fact, will get back something or their love will be efficacious and they make sure they're very careful that they only invest their love in those areas if i can anticipate that if i love over here it will be efficacious or i love over there i will get something back then yes then in those particular situations i will invest my love otherwise forget it my love hinges upon this prediction that i'm able to make and if I can anticipate those returns, that efficaciousness, yes. Otherwise, no, I will not invest my love. But my dear faithful, the highest and the best thing to do when we come to terms with the fact that our love is often inefficacious, it is often not returned, is to continue loving no matter what. It is to remove any conditions on our love and simply invest ourselves in the good without calculating whether it's going to have the effect that we want and whether it's going to be returned in the way that we desire. We must be willing to embrace the suffering that comes from loving unconditionally. There's no way that we can do this by ourselves. And we can think that one of the main reasons that our Lord came down upon this earth was precisely to enable us to do that, knowing there's no way we could do it on our own. The famous book by Father Eugene Boylan, where he refers to our Lord as this tremendous lover. No one ultimately can pass their apprenticeship of love without learning to love with the love of Christ. On the one hand, our Lord invites us to pass all of our love through him. Once we realize that our ability to make our love efficacious is so very limited, we begin to look somewhere else. We begin to say, is it possible that I can make use of another lover who is much more efficacious in his love than I am to make sure to be a sort of adjunct to my love, so that my love will be much more fruitful than I could make it on my own." And in a sense, this is what Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, is doing today in the gospel. He loves his daughter so much, as every good father does. She's just a child. She's maybe 12 years old. She has this sickness. He's watching her. He's staying by her bedside. He's taking care of her. He's trying to save her from death. But all this love, all this desire for her good is a failure. It doesn't work. She dies before his very eyes. And he has to come to terms with the fact that his love is not efficacious. As much as he loved her, His love was not able to provide her life. So what does he do? He goes to our Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes in our Lord a tremendous lover, someone who is not only able to have these great desires of love, great desires for the good of the other, but is also able to affect them. And he calls our Lord in and says, This is my daughter. Please, Lord, give her life. And that love of our Lord, that love of the Sacred Heart, is sufficient to communicate life to this young girl. She rises up. She comes back to life. Our Lord is one who is able to be efficacious in the goods that he wants to bestow upon others, even to the point of the good of giving life itself. And that's why we have to entrust the love of our children to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have to entrust the love of our family members, the love of our country, the love of our church. We have to entrust it to our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are insufficient in your love. Your love will never be sufficiently efficacious to accomplish all the good that you want. But our Lord is that tremendous lover. And if you love through Him, your love is going to be so much more efficacious than if you just love on your own. But our Lord does not just want us to love through him. He also wants us to love with him. And that's why he willfully chose not only to be more efficacious in his love than we are, but also more inefficacious in his love than we are. Our Lord purposely wanted to adopt our human condition where you love and you desire so much good and ultimately your love is a failure. Your love is not realized. Your love is not returned. Our Lord was a tremendous failure in his love. He wanted to perform tremendous acts of love that would be inefficacious, acts of love that would fail, acts of love that would not be returned, so that we could learn to love in spite of love's peril. He loved his people. He healed his people. He raised them from the dead. He went about all of Israel doing good, teaching the way to heaven, casting out devils. And what happened? There were two things that happened. First of all, His love was inefficacious. He did the good, but he did not convert everyone to the good. He so wanted the conversion of those hard-hearted Pharisees who opposed him so much. He so wanted the conversion of the heart of Judas, the conversion of Herod, the conversion of Pontius Pilate. And he was not successful. They did not convert. They remained in their sins. Judas committed suicide. Pontius Pilate committed suicide. Herod died in his sins, a horrible murderer. The scribes and the Pharisees remained hardened in their sins. They put his followers to death. And for all these people, in a true sense, our Lord's love was a failure, just like ours is so many times. And what do we do? We place this cross. We have this huge cross in our church representing the failure of our Lord's love. Our Lord's arms are stretched out, not just here, but, but all the way to embrace the whole world. But the whole world doesn't want to be embraced. So many people who do not want to receive his love. And We have that image before us at all times, that our Lord doesn't constrict His arms. He doesn't bring them back in and say, well, because there's a certain number of people who won't accept my love, I will constrain it. Second thing that happened to our Lord's love is that it was not returned after He had done so much good for His people without a shadow of fault. They did not only fail to return His love, they give Him the opposite. Of love they gave him hate they put him to death that was the answer that was the return from that arrow that he shot forth of his love that was the arrow that came back one to put him to death this is the example that is given to us by that tremendous lover our Lord Jesus Christ and this is the life of love that he expects you to embrace where you send forth your love, this desire to do good. You attach your heart, you give your heart to so the accomplishment of good in your life, in your family, in this world, in your country, as best as you can, without calculating beforehand whether or not it will reap the fruits that you want, or whether or not it will come back to you with the return of love that you expect. There are three things that we have to take away from these reflections. First of all, this fact about our Lord's love, that it was both the most efficacious and the most inefficacious love that has ever existed. The most returned love and the most unreturned love that ever existed because it was so unconditional, it was so unselfish, it threw itself out with reckless abandon to the whole world. As a result, secondly, for us, we can only love truly if we love like Christ, if we love in that reckless way, in that most un- unselfish way where we just give ourselves for the cause of the good without calculating its effect on others, or its return, without putting conditions on our love of what we're going to get back from it. And the third thing is that we must understand that is that those who do this will pass their apprenticeship of love. And that tremendous lover, if you love in the way that he is loved, ultimately, after this life, you will. Get all of that love back. That tremendous lover guarantees to return to you. Not just the, the love that you've given, that, that very limited, that very inefficacious, that failing love that we expend and, and must expend shamelessly, recklessly. He will not only give you back that little modicum of love that you're able to give in this life, but he'll give you a superabundance of love For all eternity. This truly tremendous lover is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he guarantees that the one who loves through him and the one that loves with him, in spite of all loves, failures, and disappointments, will have as their reward an infinite love for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.